friend, do you have a difficult relationship in your life that kind of makes you want to go bananas? <laughs> you're not alone if that's the case. You're going to get so much good information and helpful encouragement in this episode because, listen, it's hard to love people that are difficult. It's hard to know how to handle relationship with people that are difficult. So you are in for such a special gift today as we listen to Carla Downing. I just thank you for listening to the A Wife Like Me podcast. We love you. We love being here with you. My name is Amanda Davison. I'm the founder of A Wife Like Me. And honestly, it's my joy to bring you these amazing speakers, these amazing authors and leaders to speak into all of us to help us really grow and just dig in to the people around us, to inside of ourselves, and just really examine like what is going on here and how to live our best life here and make it matter. So thank you for listening. Today we hear from Carla Downing. She has a brand new book out. It's called Change My Relationship. It's 365 daily devotions for Christians in difficult relationships. Now she's gonna tell us why it's so hard for Christians specifically to know how to navigate relationships. And she's gonna give us tools on how to do this because again, it is hard to know how to honor God in relationships that are not easy. And like I've always said, it's almost impossible to have a healthy relationship with unhealthy people. So then what do we do? And her book addresses that. So here's Carla Downing. She's going to dive into it and then I'll share some more at the end. I'm going to talk to you about a few of the common scriptural misunderstandings that Christians have about relationships. The first one is about biblical love. There's confusion over what kind of love we are supposed to have. We have this perception from scripture that God's love is an unconditional, continually tolerating, accepting, waiting, loving, caring kind of love that when we apply it in our relationships means that we overlook wrongs, that we tolerate things that are done to us that are hurtful, that we offer grace over and over and continually, and we just keep loving that person no matter what that person does to us. And the love emphasis is on tolerating. Well, some of that confusion comes over us misunderstanding scripture. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8 is the agape love description. And it says this, love is patient, kind, doesn't envy, boast, and isn't proud. It's not rude, self-seeking, easily angered, keeps no record of wrongs, doesn't delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. It always protects, trusts, hopes, and perseveres. So if you are in a difficult relationship, think about how you would interpret that. Love is patient, kind, doesn't envy, boast, and isn't proud. That's that's okay. Pretty straightforward. Not rude, not self-seeking. Does that mean that it doesn't put yourself first? That it doesn't meet your own needs? That it doesn't ever say, no, I matter too? Okay, so that's the first place that 
Christians take that wrong, isn't easily angered. Okay, it's not easily angered, but they misinterpret that to say never angered, forgetting that there is a righteous anger and that it's okay to be angry, especially when somebody does something wrong, harmful to themselves, to you, to the relationship, keeps no record of wrongs. That actually means not having like a tit for tat, I'm going to get back at you kind of thing. You did that to me, I'm going to do this to you. But it doesn't mean that it doesn't keep a record of wrongs for somebody who is continually doing the same thing and there's a pattern of misconduct that you need to pay attention to if you are being wise. Doesn't delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. Okay, but how about this? Always protects, trusts, hopes, and perseveres. So think about that. If it's protects, does that mean that it protects the person by lying, by covering up, by making up for their mistakes by preventing them from having to suffer the consequences of their choices. We call that enabling. And enabling is not healthy and not good. That doesn't mean that type of protecting. Always trust. So do you offer trust blindly to somebody who has been untrustworthy, somebody that has lied to you, somebody that has continually not followed through on promises? No, that would be unwise to trust somebody like that always hopes and perseveres. For what? That everything's going to be fine? Does it take a stand and persevere for what is right, righteous, and good? Which definitely is the more loving thing to do if you think about compassionate type of tough love, which means that you're going to persevere for what is right in the long term. So that is actually God's love. God allows us to make our own choices because we have free will. And when we make those choices, we suffer the consequences of those choices. God does not intervene. He does not prevent us from having to go through the consequences of our own choices. He loves us through them and is waiting, hoping that we will learn to make better choices. Romans 13.10 says, love does no harm to its neighbor. Now we know from Jesus that he said, love your neighbor as yourself. We're to care about our neighbor as we care for ourselves. So love does no harm to its neighbor. Love does no harm to the relationship, to the other person, or to you. That is a healthy love. That is a love that holds out for what is right, for what is good for the relationship, what is good for the other person, and what is good for you. God's love allows us to make choices, to suffer the consequences of those choices. He allows us for our own good to come to a place of seeing what is right and making better choices, repenting. So the next one is belief that it is selfish to put yourself before other people and to take care of yourself. Now in dysfunctional families, there are some common dysfunctional rules. And one of those is don't be selfish. Selfish is defined as doing anything that is for you and not for everyone else. And this is often said to a person in a dysfunctional family when you put yourself first or when you take care of yourself or you make a choice that the family doesn't support, like maybe moving out of the house when you turn 18. The family expects you to stay home and continue to help the family with bills or to continue to take care of people in the family. So the understanding that Christians have that it is wrong to put themselves before others comes from the idea that Jesus was willing to lay down his life as a servant for us on the cross while he was here on earth. And yet scripture tells us something very differently. Talks about 
in Ephesians 5, 26 through 29, when the Apostle Paul was trying to explain to husbands how they needed to love their wives. He said, basically, hey guys, love your wife just like you love your own body. Because, he says, no one neglects their own body. No one neglects their own body. In other words, he's saying it's natural, normal, and even essential to take care of your own body. So we're not just talking about body, talking about your soul, your spirit, your mind, your own responsibilities, your own life, your own commitments. Those things are important. You cannot continually neglect your own body, neglect your own responsibilities, neglect your own self-care to give to other people without burning out, becoming resentful, and ending up getting irritable and even angry with other people. Jesus took time while on earth, pull away from the crowds. He could heal them. Imagine being able to heal people. At what point would you stop and say, no more, I'm going to walk away, I'm going to take a nap, I'm going to go eat, I'm going to go spend time with my disciples who don't need healing. I'm going to go and just talk with them and teach them when I've got all these people here that have come to me to be healed. Jesus was able to do that. He was able to say, no, it's time for me to go pray. It's time for me to go rest. It's time for me to just walk away and take care of some other things. That is a model for us, that there is a time for us to do that also, to just say, no, we've got to take care of other things. We can't just continually exhaust ourselves. So recognizing that scripture's telling you, yeah, it's okay. It's okay to take care of yourself. There is a time to put others before ourselves. And there is a time to put ourselves before others. I use this example. If you're in the grocery store line and there's somebody that comes behind you, huge cart full of things, you're not in a real big hurry, somebody behind you has a couple things in the basket, you'll say, oh, would you, would you like to go in front of me? And they'll say, usually, oh, thank you very much. Yes, right? Well, I've had that happen. And then there's been another person that come behind them with just a couple things and then another person. And at some point you're going to say, you know what, even if I have a huge basket, I can't keep putting everyone in front of me or I'm never going to get home. I'm not going to be able to cook dinner for my own family. I'm not going to be able to attend to the things that I have to do tonight. Eventually you're going to say, it's okay for me to go. It's a balance. Sometimes we give to others and care for others, but we have a responsibility to take care of ourselves, to make sure our own needs are met, to make sure that we're not exhausting ourselves and pushing ourselves to the point where we end up being resentful. So scripture clearly teaches a love that is balanced, that cares not only for yourself, but for the relationship and the other person, and also that it is natural, normal, and essential to take care of yourself. Thank you, Carla, for being amazing and always helping us understand clearly what is going on in relationships. So one of the things I love about her book is you can look up a topic that you want to read about. And so um, I was looking under manipulation, and I just want to read this one devotional to you out of her new book, Change My Relationship. It's called Emotional Blackmail. Emotional blackmail is the manipulation of emotions for the purpose of controlling a person's behavior to get the outcome the blackmailer wants. It is usually used in a close relationship in which the blackmailer knows the person intimately. Emotional blackmailers are effective because they figure out what will upset you the most and then use that to get what they want. If they know you're afraid of something, they'll threaten you to allow that to happen. If they know you feel guilty, they will accuse you of doing something that will make you feel bad. If they know you are insecure, they will feed that insecurity. 
If you fear physical, emotional, or relational abandonment, they will threaten to leave you. If you have self-doubt, they will make you question yourself. Emotional blackmailers won't ask you directly for what they want because they don't want to give you the opportunity to say no. Recognize the game, take care of yourself, and then do not let the emotional blackmail work. Identify what they use to blackmail you, strengthen yourself, and don't give in. Proverbs 17, 18 says, A bribe is seen as a charm by the one who gives it. They think success will come at every turn. And this day's prayer reads this, God, you have given me the right to say yes and no for myself. Even though an emotional blackmailer doesn't offer me that choice, I can claim it and do what is right for me. So, so good. Friends, again, you can go to changemyrelationship.com. You can get her book. Again, the subtitle of Change My Relationship is 365 Daily Devotions for Christians in Difficult Relationships. Ladies, all of this we are also talking about in the A Wife Like Me Collective. We have coaches in there diving into these topics. Carla will be sharing more in the collective as well as we go on. And it's just going to be incredible. We're in there ready for you. There are so many amazing tools in there that, that we're taking advantage of. So we'd love for you to join us. You can head over to collective.awifelikeme.com now to join us in there. Thank you so much for listening to the A Wife Like Me podcast podcast. We love you. We are sending you so many hugs, so many prayers. And again, we're always here for you. Reach out at any time, info at a wife like me.com. Have a good day. Well, I'm super excited to talk about the purpose of our marriage today because I'm very passionate about it, which you might kind of pick up on throughout this episode. But it really is important to me because I think that it can be really confusing. It can get lost in even the Christian culture of really the purpose for our marriage. And I just really want to make sure we get this straight. And so I'm, I'm really excited to be talking about it. First thing I just want you to know is God created marriage on purpose. He didn't have to do that, but he did. Over in the A Wife Like Me Collective, we started reading in Genesis in January. And if you're listening to this now, you can jump over there at any time and join us. We are reading through scripture slowly together. But I love the fact that right out of the gate, God created the entire world. And he is very intentional and deliberate in how he does that. He separates the darkness from the light. He separates and distinctly calls each animal into their own. He separates all of creation to be different from other things in his creation. And he then turns to making human beings in his image, in his likeness. And this is a beautiful thing because we see that God had an intentional plan when he created marriage. The hard thing is it gets confusing and we don't know how to answer that. And we tend to believe that marriage, God created marriage for us. God created marriage for my happiness. God created marriage for my goals. God created marriage so that I could have the family I've always dreamed of. We begin to think in these ways that marriage is for me to feel better and my marriage therefore should do that. 
And that's a huge problem, as you can imagine, because when it doesn't, then what do we do with that? And so the the real thing that we need to really know today and forever is that the real purpose God created marriage is to represent him. God created marriage, not for us, although he loves, he loves us and he wants us to experience the joy of him and a marriage that reflects him. He, he wants that for us, but that's not the reason he created marriage. He created marriage to magnify himself, to display his goodness, his love, his sacrifice on the cross, his resurrection power. He, he created marriage so that it would mirror the intimacy to other people around us that they can experience themselves with God. And so to really, to dis, it's to, let me cut that out. The purpose for marriage is to display God to the world by how we live and, and love one another. And that first relationship he created to do that through is marriage. And it doesn't happen by accident. It doesn't happen. Oh, I'm going to start this next section again. God also created marriage to make disciples. This is the the last thing Jesus said before ascending into heaven. And he, he, oh my gosh, let me start that over. Another reason God made and created marriage is to make disciples. It's the very last thing he said before he ascended into heaven. He said this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. It isn't as... Sorry. This call on our lives is bigger than our marriage. The call and the purpose we are here to make God known, to make disciples, happens through marriage. It can happen through without marriage as well. But God created marriage so that we can be a team, a partnership in understanding why we're here and then making his name known to glorify him and to bring other people to him. And it's important that we start here because we have to understand that, again, the reason for God wanting to create marriage is for his sake and his purpose, to glorify him. Everything we do here within our marriage, within parenting, within the jobs that we have, is for him. It's to make his name known. And so how do we do that? Because it does not happen easily. It doesn't happen on accident. It doesn't happen overnight. The first place we start is really understanding what I just shared and understanding who God is. Ladies, if we do not have Jesus as our staring... Okay, so if we're honest we can tend to think that marriage is for us. It's to make us feel better. It's to make us happier. It's to make us 
more comfortable, more uh, fulfilled, happier, all the things, right? And especially if you have not grown up in a solid biblical home or family where the truth of God's design for marriage was taught and shared and talked about, it's really easy, even as Christians, to have this mentality that the purpose of marriage is, well, for us, to make us happy, to make us feel better. And the reality is that's just not biblical. It's not the purpose for marriage. So I'm super pumped to be sharing this with you because I'm passionate about it. I think that as we become aligned with the design for marriage, why God created it, and understand the huge influence we have through a biblical Christ-centered marriage and knowing what that purpose of that is, then we can really live that out. And so I'm, I'm really excited. I, I want to share though, again, just that if you're listening right now, I hate to tell you that I'm going to probably give you some hard truth today and it might not be what you want to hear, but please stick with me um, because at the end it well, it will be good. I just don't want you to stop listening. So uh, first, again, I I just want to, uh, let me start that part over. So if God did not design marriage for the purpose of our happiness and for us to feel better, why did he create marriage? What is the purpose of marriage? And the purpose of marriage is really to make God known through marriage. He designed marriage to be uniquely set apart from all creation. And he he loves marriage. He wants marriage to glorify and magnify who he is. But the purpose of marriage is to represent God through our marriage. It's It's to magnify his love, his sacrifice on the cross, his resurrection power, it's really to mirror the intimacy that that other people can have with Christ by how we love each other in our marriages. And it's really to just display God to the world, you know, by how we live and how we love each other. And that's not easy to do. It's not um, pretty. It's hard because in marriage we are built really and designed to help our spouse become more Christ-like. And that process is not a feel-good process. It's a process of sharpening and pruning and hard conversations and humility and ongoing surrender. And it's difficult, and so, um, but it's beautiful. And that is the design for marriage. And God also, you know, designed marriage to make disciples. I mean, the greatest, the great commission, the the very last thing that God said, or Jesus, excuse me, let me start that part over. God also designed marriage to make disciples for the purpose of really to help us. Okay. Oh my gosh. Let me start this over again. Sorry. And if you're a Christian, I hope that you know, if you don't, I'm going to tell you now, the purpose for which you are here is to make disciples. The The very last thing Jesus said before ascending into heaven in Matthew 28, verse 
uh, 18 through 20. Now I gotta find it, sorry. Oh boy, actually I gotta start this whole part over. And if, okay. So if you are a Christian and you've never heard this before, um, I'm going to tell you again that your purpose, your purpose is to make disciples. The, the very last thing Jesus said before ascending into heaven, he said this in Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20. He said, Jesus came, he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So go, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I will be with you always to the end of the age. Go make disciples of all the nations. All the nations, your mission field is right where you are, friend. Right between your two feet, right in your home. Building disciples, that can be your husband. It can be your kids, okay? It can be the, the coworkers you have um, on your shift. It can It's anybody. But, but that's our great commission okay so marriage god uses marriage as a team a powerhouse team to be able to make disciples together um now i don't mean like making disciples you have you have you have to be in the same small group or i'm not saying that but he uniquely pairs us together so that we can make disciples more powerfully and help each other to do that and this does not happen on accident. It does not happen overnight. But again, if we have the perspe- the correct biblical perspective about marriage, that this, this marriage is hugely influential. We have such potential in our marriage to make God known by how we live out our marriage and live our lives together. That is a huge, huge task but also such huge opportunity because people are watching and people are noticing how you live. So how do we do this? How do we make God known through marriage if that is the purpose of marriage? Well, we can start by just stop staring at each other and ourselves and start staring at God you know, if you if you aren't a Christian yet, or you're curious about even if you are, you become a follower of Jesus by placing your faith and trust in Jesus. And so you can proclaim your faith in him and ask for forgiveness for your sins just by doing that, just by saying that, proclaiming that that is how you want to live. And through that place of faith and trust in Jesus, you are given new life, brand new life. The old is gone and new life is in you when you place your trust and faith in Jesus Christ. And that lifestyle of following Jesus then is an all day, every day choice. And really it's a choice of surrendering your wants, your needs, your desires to the King and allowing him to mold you and to mold your thoughts, your words, your actions. And that's an, again, an ongoing constant flowing in of you getting out of the way and the Holy Spirit in you, um, filling you up instead of what you want and what I want. 
Um, But that's a great place to start. Just understand again, God, maybe I have not been living fully for you. Maybe I've been proclaiming and saying I'm a Christian. We check the box. We go to church on Sunday. We maybe pray at dinner at bedtime or something. But my whole life is not surrendered to you. You are not my focus. You are not my adoration. You are not my my goal. I'm not thinking about you. I'm not craving to know you. And so starting with that admission of, man, I want to I live this life fully for you and see what God, God, you're going to do with that. That's a great, again, great place to start. Um, Francis Chan says this, the gap between our love for God and our love for our spouses should be massive, massive. So I just want to encourage you that if, you know, if you're in that place where there have been other things that I've been putting in front of my relationship with God, my focus on God, and our marriages can be easily can be one of those things that we're focused on our marriage so much that it's, it's replaced our adoration and our love and our seeking of God or our kids or our job or our love for money or material things or pursuing a pursuit of different things that can easily get in the way I just want to encourage you that you're not alone we all need this reminder and then we can get get on track with that as well again just as we repent of this and I just want to encourage you to um, that there's just no greater love story if you're listening and you're like I just don't understand this Amanda because if my if the purpose of my marriage is to make God known where do I fit into that like, what about me? And I want to just say that there is no greater love story than the love story of God for you. And if you've never heard how good it is or never have read or experienced how good it is, I just encourage you to open up God's word. I encourage you to pray and ask God to show you how much he loves you. I encourage you to just dive into everything else we have here at A Wife Like Me and t- dive into your local church. Join a small group there. Um, I-, I encourage you to lean in and listen because God loves you so much. And, and the-, the greatest love story is written throughout the pages of scripture and it's there for you. And so um, when I say that, you know, we we can experience God, we can um, the purpose of our marriage is to make him known. If that feels like I don't understand that, it's probably because you haven't yet experienced the full love of Jesus and understood fully what he's done on the cross for you. Um, so again, I just encourage you to, to dive into scripture. And I also want to encourage you that as a wife, you have, you have victory knowing that you have honored God. So if your husband, if you're listening to and you're like, okay, whatever, because my husband is not on the same page and he is not interested in this, that's fine. You, you, you will meet, meet your maker. You get to stand before God one day and you get to say, man, once I discovered this, I was all in. I, I, I did what I could. And that is going to be celebrated. And you we'll get to experience the riches in heaven from how you're living and loving here. So you get to choose to honor God in how you love your husband, even if he's on a different page. 
And then I also want to say, you know, like I said at the end, this might not be super fun to listen to. I hope it's exciting, but also maybe hurts a little bit. But here's the thing. It is good and healthy to want a good, healthy marriage. That's, that's awesome. Like we want you to want that. God wants you to want that. God loves you and he wants it for you. It's just that we often forget that that's not the goal. The goal, again, is not to have a great, amazing marriage. That's not the goal. Now, it's a byproduct of having a good, healthy, strong reverence for Christ. But your healthy, strong marriage is going to come when you have a healthy, strong relationship with Christ. That's, that's where a good, healthy marriage comes from. And we just often get it backwards. There's only one reason that we give you tools and resources here to grow your marriage at a wife like me, and and that is to grow and build and elevate the name of Jesus because we know that so many are watching. So many are in your home. So many are around you. Even your husband, as you become more like Christ, you represent and make Christ more attractive. As you do that, that's that's just as simple. That's the that's how making disciples happens. As we become disciples, as we disciple as a follower of Jesus, as we follow Jesus, as we understand and take in who He is and what that means for our lives, we become more like Him. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in us because we're yearning to have more of Him. And as we do, we become more like Him. And as we become more like Him. Other people are drawn to him because we look different than the world. And other people are confused as to why we have something that looks different and feels different. And it's because it is different. And so it draws people in. I just want to give you this analogy today. I've given it before, but in case you haven't heard it, um, I want you to imagine or picture your favorite dessert, whatever that is. For me, that dessert is a Dairy Queen ice cream cake. I know, super fancy. But that cake itself, the, the cake itself, not a, anything on the top, nothing, no decorations, just the cake itself. I... Uh, imagine that as Jesus. Like that is him. It never changes. It's always the same. The cake is always good. Okay. The outside decorations, icing, the sprinkles, the whatever is on there, the frosting and all of that jazz, that's, that's bonus. Those, those, that represents our relationships. Um, you know, our marriage, our kids, our, our callings, our, um, our, you know, different roles we play in our community. And it makes it pretty, you know, but it, it's, it changes and it's not always the same and we can't count on it. And so I just want to remind you that you have that available for you. You get to experience Jesus He's never changing. He's always constant. He is for you and he loves you. 
and you get to live with that. You get to you get to walk around with the Dairy Queen cake, okay? Or whatever your <laughs> dessert is. Then it never changes and that's that's the joy of the Lord that people speak of. It, it's yours always no matter what. Okay? And so the purpose of marriage is given to us as daughters of the king to help magnify the glory of God, to bring people to his feet. And it starts with us. It starts with us recognizing this. It starts with us practicing this in our everyday, seeking him, wanting to know him, opening up scripture, and starting to make choices not based on our wants or our desires or defending our our position, but surrendering to the Holy Spirit living within us and saying, okay, I want more of you, so I'm going to trust you in this. And those small steps of obedience in, in marriage is beautiful. And it's, again, celebrated. So I hope this uh, was encouraging today, maybe challenging, but I just, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> so I hope this was encouraging today, maybe challenging, but um, it's, it's good stuff. And there's such influence. You have such a huge purpose in your life and through your marriage. And if you're, if you're listening, you're not married, you have just the same amount of purpose and influence. God did create the marriage to reflect him and his love. And you can do that, married or not. But for those of us that are married, that is the purpose of marriage. So, okay, Ashley, I'm going to do um, an outro to this so you can cut out that last I don't know what I said, just it didn't sound very good, like the so part. Okay. Hey, so over in the Wife Like Me Collective, we are diving into purpose all month. We're diving into scripture. We're slowly walking through the Bible. We are starting in Genesis, and we would love to have you join us at any time. You can head over to collective.awifelikeme.com and find everything you need there. Also, Chris Reese, amazing. You heard her on episode one of season four, talking about purpose. She's also teaching in the Wife Like Me Collective on purpose. So it's so good, friend. We want you to really walk in all that God has designed for you and set out for you, purposed for you. So man, if you're hungry to do that, again, we'd love to have you. Collective.awifelikeme.com. Thank you so much for listening to the Wife Like Me podcast. If you found this at all helpful, just please share it with a friend. Um, We want this message to spread and we can't do it without you. So love you so much. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. Did you know that in Genesis chapter 1, God creates everything? He's creating everything. And then he creates man in his image, you and me, to be like God. And we see something interesting. We see that God says it's very good. This is different than all things I've created. Why is it different? Does it matter? That's what we're going to talk about in this episode.
My name is Amanda Davison. I'm the founder of A Wife Like Me, and I'm I'm just super pumped that you're with us. I can't wait for this episode. I'm I'm sharing on this episode, so this is gonna be good. And I just I honestly, wife, I just thank you for being you, for diving in, for leaning in. I know that your day is probably filled with so much, but this is something that you take in that feeds your soul, that is growing your faith, and therefore growing your family and your marriage and everything around you. So I just applaud you and I want to give you a big old hug right now. But again, thank you for being here. Let's dive in.